Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. Great. Well, thanks for that very nice introduction, Tim. I don't feel like I deserve all those, all those kind words you just said. Um, yeah, like Tim said, my name is Pippa and I'm the student worker here at the Minster. Um, and I'm super excited to be talking to you this morning uh, for two reasons. First of all, because it is Focus Sunday. And I think David and the team have done an amazing job with transforming the church. I mean, I was so shocked when I came in and saw how different it looked this morning. And the second reason why I'm excited is because I feel like I get to represent the students a bit from the front of the stage when I preach. Uh, and I'm so passionate about those guys. I love spending time with them. I love hanging out with them. And a few weeks ago, I was chatting with a few of the students, and we were discussing some of the funny things that Christians say. And we realized there are actually quite a lot of slightly weird things <laughs> that Christians love to say. Uh, and the first was the phrase, let's do life together. Let's do life together. Christi I can honestly say I've never heard a non-Christian say the phrase, let's do life together. Uh, any fans of that phrase in particular? No, only one hand and it was Tim. Okay. <laughs> uh, the other one is when you, uh, when you meet someone and you realize that you have a Christian kind of mutual connection. And you start saying, oh, the Christian world is so small. Everyone, know, everyone has a mutual friend with one another, um, which might sometimes feel true, uh, but probably isn't the best selling point for Christianity. But the word that I want to speak on this morning is surrender. And I include it in this list because the word surrender is thrown around quite a lot in worship songs and in church. But outside of church, it only really has negative connotations. We hear words like surrender being used more often with the recent uh, crisis in Ukraine. And it just paints a bleak image, doesn't it? Surrender is like the final option when all hope is lost, when you have nothing but to kind of surrender to the opposing side. However, when we add Jesus into the equation, Surrender is the strongest, most subversive thing that you can do in this world because it means submitting to God's authority and choosing his plans above our own. So I believe today that the moment you surrender your life to Jesus is the moment your life begins. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus is the moment your life begins. So a good place to start is to see what the Bible says on surrender. So we're going to be looking at the last chapter of John's Gospel. And to give some context, Jesus has just appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection. And the disciples are in a boat fishing, and they've been out all night, and they haven't caught a single fish. But then Jesus shows up and he tells them to throw their net over the other side of the boat and they catch so many fish that they can barely haul the net back into the boat. And this is what happens next. We're reading from John 21 verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. I find this passage so moving that the same Peter who has denied Jesus three times before his death has just been singled out by Jesus and called to a life of surrender. And it's not because Peter is that capable or even that devoted to Jesus, but because Jesus loves him and he knows that following him is the best option for Peter's life. And this is exactly the same for us today. So I've come up with four reasons why I believe Jesus wants our surrender this morning. And the first reason is because Jesus wants to speak to us. I believe that Jesus wants to speak to you specifically, just as he singled out Peter and spoke specifically into his life. And I believe this happened because Peter made himself available like he was ready and waiting to hear what Jesus had to say to him. So when we do the same, when we give up some of our time and make ourselves available, Jesus will speak to us. For me, I think some of the most like, precious things that Jesus has spoken into my life have been when I've been on retreats, things like focus or weekends away, and I've given up some of my time to listen to God. And there's one thing in particular which stands out to me, and it was when I was a student and I was on uh, my weekend away when I was at Birmingham. And I remember God giving me permission to call him Abba Father. And Abba Father in Aramaic means dad or daddy. It's a term of like complete closeness and intimacy between us and our father. And it's only used three times in the whole Bible by Jesus and by Paul. And I was just like overwhelmed that God would say to me, Pippa, this is the name that I want you to use for me. And I believe that I heard uh, God say those words because I'd taken the time to stop and listen to what he had to say. So Jesus speaks to Peter and he speaks to us when we make ourselves available. The second reason why our surrender is important to Jesus is because we need to be filled up spiritually if we are going to be effective followers of Jesus. So Peter spent three years of his time with Jesus, watching him teach, watching him heal, learning from him, praying with him, so that he could be filled up and then sent out. 
And I think you'd probably think after like three solid years of learning directly from Jesus Christ, like God himself being your teacher, you'd be a pretty like, a pretty solid disciple. I mean, surely you wouldn't be making mistakes after that. But Peter does. He still trips up and he still makes mistakes. So I think if that was the case for Peter, how much more do we need to take every opportunity that comes our way to surrender ourselves to God, to be in Christian community, and to be listening to him? And thirdly, we do this so that we can be sent out. Now, I believe that Jesus has a particular calling for your life. I believe that there is a particular mission field that Jesus wants to call you into, just as he does with Peter. And that might be your school, it might be your college, your university halls, or your workplace. But wherever it is, I believe that Jesus also wants to send you to care for his sheep. One of the things that I find really fascinating about this passage is that after Jesus' death, when the disciples are filled with despair, the thing that they do is they go back to fishing. Like they return to the profession they'd been doing before they even met Jesus. It's almost like they've forgotten this new calling that Jesus has put on their lives. So they return to fishing and they're rubbish at it. Like they don't catch a single fish until Jesus shows up and they catch 153. Now I think that Jesus is saying something in this. I think Jesus is saying that those disciples were not just meant to be fishermen. They weren't just intended to wake up in the morning, to go fishing, to have their dinner and go to bed. No, they were called to a life of following Jesus and to build the early church. So after Jesus calls Peter to follow me, he is never the same after that conversation. So I believe that we also have a specific missional calling that Jesus wants to lead us into. And the fourth reason why Jesus wants our surrender is because he is still alive and he is still doing things today. I love the final verse of John's gospel, which says this. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So John had like masses of material about Jesus, which he could have written down, but instead he chooses a select few examples for the 21 chapters of his book. So therefore, what we read about Jesus must be pretty important if there was enough of it to fill like every book in the world. And I also think that that includes today, that if we were to write down everything Jesus had been doing and everything he's doing today, there simply wouldn't be room in the world for all the books that would be written. And I don't know about you, but I think that is so exciting. And I want to be a part of that. So how can we surrender our life to God? What does that actually look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, Jesus didn't just call Peter for his own benefit. It wasn't like an isolated calling for himself. He called him to be a shepherd and to engage in community. Community was the key thing that Jesus was calling Peter to do. Very rarely in the Bible does Jesus spend time with just one disciple. 
Instead, he spends significant amount of time with the multitudes and with the 12 and with the three. And even when he's on his own, he is still in, in communion, in relationship with the Father. And in Jesus' most significant moments, like before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, he doesn't just bring one disciple with him, but several disciples with him. So Jesus teaches us that a huge part of our surrender to him means taking up the importance of community. Now, anyone who knows me well will know that my favorite meal of the day by far is breakfast. Any other breakfast lovers, in Christine, love that. Yes, I, I see you. I'm, I'm with you. I absolutely love breakfast, whether it's avocado on toast, a full English, pancakes, you name it. If breakfast is involved, I'm going to be there. And I think part of the reason is because when I wake up in the morning, I'm always so hungry. And I used to be so hungry in school when I woke up that every day I would have two breakfasts. I would have one as soon as I got out of bed and another one just as I was about to leave the house. And I love that Jesus shares my appreciation for breakfast. I love that that is something me and Jesus have in common, our love for eating breakfast together. It says at the start of this passage, come and have breakfast. And Jesus easily could have risen from the dead and gone and told everybody that condemned him to death, everybody that sentenced him to crucifixion, that they were wrong and he was right and he had triumphed over death. He could have gone and sought celebrity status for himself. When I recovered from COVID a couple of weeks ago, I felt so excited and triumphant that I tested negative and I was freed from isolation. I texted all my friends and said, let's meet up, let's go and do something. Well, Jesus has just triumphed over death. He's got one up on me. He has conquered the powers of hell. But what he does is he goes and sits and eats with his oldest friends. He doesn't shout it from the rooftops. He goes and has breakfast with his old, worn-out disciples. And this is a really pivotal moment of community. This is when Jesus is giving Peter his life's work. But first of all, they eat together. Jesus has all this important stuff to say and a church to build, but the very first thing they do is eat as a community. And Jesus doesn't multitask, you know, he doesn't have a mouthful of fish and at the same time is saying, get a move on Peter, go and start building the church. No, they just eat together. And it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus reinstates Peter. What an incredible image of God, who before anything else, just wants to sit and have breakfast with us. Now, I'm sure, as probably everyone is aware, our world is becoming increasingly individualistic, especially in the West. And I read this quote from an article on the role of community in discipleship, and I thought it was so accurate, so I'm going to read it out. It says this. We see the impact of this lack of community every day. The family has broken down. Neighbours see each other only when they take out the rubbish. Surprisingly, the technology we hoped would have connected us has left us even more detached. Instead of visiting in person with friends, we call on our phones. Instead of writing letters or talking, we email and send texts. We are more accessible, but less interconnected. 
As a result, we live in a world of many acquaintances, but few deep relationships. How often do we catch ourselves saying, I don't have the time, or I don't have the energy for those friends, or I need to prioritize other things. Maybe when I've given in that deadline, then I'll meet with my church family, then I'll engage in community. It would have been so easy for Jesus to take up this mindset and to ditch his friends, like they have abandoned him in his greatest time of need. And I think if that were to happen today, people would be saying, cut out those toxic friends. You don't need them in your life. You're better than that. Get some new friends. They would have been completely cancelled. But that isn't what Jesus does, and that isn't what we should do either. And Jesus knew that the disciples desperately needed one another if they were going to build the early church. So he gathers them together as he had done before his death, and he sets the same model for us to do today. And we try and take up that model at the Minster, which is why we're so passionate about things like Focus or the Alpha Away Day or groups, because we want to take up this responsibility of meeting together. And I heard from Beth, our youth worker, that some of, the, uh, some of the youth at church call us the pizza church because we're always eating pizza together, which does sometimes feel like the case. Uh, but I'm glad that we have that name because it shows that we take really seriously the responsibility to eat and build community together. And for someone like me who is more introverted, it might require some extra surrendering and sacrificing to God uh, to build community. At the end of a busy day, I'm not always the best at making conversation with people, but I try and do it because I believe that part of my surrender to God involves loving people and investing to others. And investing in other people is a wonderful byproduct of community. And as we invest in community, this calls for three things on our part. And the first one, as basic as it sounds, is love. We need to be absolutely devoted to one another and to God in our love. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? Because Peter needs to be absolutely certain of his love for Jesus. Because one day he will undergo such incredible suffering that will only make sense if he is completely 100% convicted in his love for Jesus. So we have to make sure that as we invest in community, our number one motivation is love for God and love for one another. The second thing this calls from us is obedience. Jesus reminded Peter that when he was younger, he dressed himself and he went where he wanted. He had some kind of freedom. But that as he gets older, someone else will dress him and lead him where he doesn't want to go. And eventually he will die for his surrender to Jesus. And I know that doesn't sound appealing, and thankfully in our country, we don't tend to go through that level of persecution. But on our own level, surrendering to God involves sacrifice of our time, or of our money, or of our plans. And thirdly, to invest in others, we must tend to God's people. We must care for the whole family of believers, not just the ones at church on our doorstep, but those globally, especially in places of crisis at the moment. So we must tend for his people, not just when it's fun, although it is the vast majority of the time, but also when it requires effort and energy from us. As I said before, we all know that feeling where it's easy to say I'm too busy, 
or I don't have the time, or maybe next week or next month or next year, then I can invest in community. But I believe that as we do that, as we make those investments, God is taking us to a place where we can say, I trust you so much and I love you so much that you can have my whole life, all of it, because we know that is the best option for us. So let's not get weary of meeting together. And maybe this morning you might want to think about um, a neighbor who you could invite over for a meal, or perhaps a friend you could start reading the Bible with, or maybe there's someone at church you've not seen for the past few weeks that you could invite over for coffee, or maybe focus is something you could commit to in the summer. Now I have to say I'm not a massive fan of camping, but when Jesus is involved, I don't know how, it suddenly becomes really fun and exciting, so don't be put off by that. But when we let Jesus into every aspect of our life, I believe we will be amazed at the things he does and the way that he speaks. So the final thing I want to say this morning is that more than anyone else, when it comes to surrender and sacrifice, the person who knows most of all what that looks like is Jesus. Our perfect role model for a life of surrender is found in Jesus, who surrendered himself on the cross in our place. And in Jesus' death, we see so many examples of surrender, even before he dies. We see it when he's questioned by the Roman authorities and he doesn't retaliate or say a word. He lets them condemn him. We see it when he's forced to carry his own cross up to the place of his crucifixion. And we see it painfully through his separation from the Father through death. And he doesn't do any of this through obligation or because he has to, a sense of duty, but through willingness and obedience to God. So I want to encourage you today that the moment you surrender your life to Jesus really is the moment your life begins. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.